Does it ever trouble you that Jesus was crucified? Does that, uh, does that ever trouble you? Does that ever just not make sense to you? Come on, because why'd they kill him? Why'd they kill him? If he was such a great moral teacher and he taught love all the time, why'd they execute him? Because nobody kills a nice guy. Nobody executes Mr. Rogers. I mean, it's one of the most troubling parts of Jesus' story is they killed him. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're in the middle of a series here on the Apostles' Creed, which is, which is a creed that was written. It was a statement of belief that the church put together. Um, and, and it dates back to, it's the earliest of the belief, uh, formal belief statements. It dates back to around 150 A.D., uh, and, and like we do each week, I want to read the whole Apostles' Creed, and then we're just going to look at one of the phrases, okay? So if you know it, if you grew up in a church that recited the Apostles' Creed and you really like that, you're welcome to recite it as well. We're going to have a time at the end of the sermon to recite the parts we've, we've studied and learned about. But here I wanted to read the whole Apostles' Creed for you. So if you'd, if you'd like to recite along, you're welcome to. Otherwise, you can read along on the screen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven Uh, He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So we're going to just look at one of the phrases today. Each week, we've been, we've been looking at phrase after phrase. And if you missed a couple of them and this gets interesting for you, they're all online. You can find them online at riverlifemn.com. In our app, download our app if you haven't already. You can, find, you can often find the links on Facebook as well. But our, our website and the app are the best way to catch up on past sermons. So the phrase we're looking at this week, the phrase we're looking at this week is the one that says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. Now, a a little note here, and we'll talk about this guy, Pontius Pilate, or Pontius, if you're looking at the screen, you're like, Pontius? Okay. So Pontius Pilate was the governor of the area where Jerusalem is and where Jesus was executed, crucified. Okay, so that, he was a governor. So, so there it is. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Now, there's an interesting thing about this particular phrase of the Apostles' Creed. There's no direct theology in it. I mean, look at it. It's just a statement of facts. No theology. Now, for a series whose subtitle is Exploring the Theology of the Apostles' Creed, that makes this phrase a little different. See, it's nothing like the phrases that, that we, we've studied the last couple weeks, where we looked at God as almighty creator and personal father. 
That was week one. Or last week, when we, when we looked at Jesus Christ as the perfect God-man, fully God, fully man, and we talked about the incarnation. I mean, that is deep theology. That makes any of our brains just hurt. But this week, this reads more like a history book than a theology book. So what do we do with it? Why is it in there? Why is a statement of four successive facts, even in the same paragraph as all of this insanely deep, incredible theology? Why is it there? Well, I want to give you today's premise. Okay, today's premise is that the church included this phrase to directly refute some of the common heretical views of what happened to Jesus when he died. This phrase, this phrase, in fact, possibly more than any other phrase, is written directly to refute some commonly held explanations for what really happened to Jesus. So you can kind of think of these explanations that people came up with as they were the viral hoaxes of the time. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? The Nigerian prince who wants to send you millions of dollars. Okay, that one. Or Nike's going to send you free shoes if, they sh- if you share their post on Facebook. No, they're not going to. Okay, or like that the, emo- the Emoji Movie is a really good film. Okay, okay, I'm just Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that, okay? But these are the viral hoaxes of the time. They were spread from person to person, and people believed them. And and think about this, that that if these were these wrong views of Jesus' death, if these were the viral hoaxes, you can kind of think of the Apostles' Creed as the Snopes.com of the time. Because the Apostles' Creed was there to debunk these hoaxes. Now, if you have a little bit more of a, a political leaning, you can think of these, these, these stories that got passed around as the alternative facts to Jesus' death. And that's what happened, that, that people started spreading these alternative facts about what really happened to Jesus. So today, we're going to look at four of them. We're going to look at four of these stories, these explanations that were floating around for the first couple hundred years of the church. So we're going to start with the first. The first alternative fact that people said that in the church, that started to creep into the church, was that Jesus was never actually buried and that the disciples stole his body. Now, this one's interesting because this one we actually see in the Bible. Most of these hoaxes took a little time to develop, but this one, this one we actually see right there in the Bible. So the book of Matthew is just, the book of Matthew describes both Pontius Pilate, who was Roman, okay, and the Jewish religious leaders, who obviously were Jewish. So both the Romans and the Jews were afraid that the, that the disciples would steal Jesus' body to make it look like he resurrected. Because he said he would. And, and if he actually did, then it would give this, this little fringe, troublesome group some, some authority and some power. And so read with me with, with, for Matthew 28. This is the, the second to last paragraph in the book of Matthew. And it actually talks about this fear that the leaders had. So here we go. While the women were on their way, this is on their way to the tomb. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. 
When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. You like that? Let's bribe them off. Okay? Large sum of money telling them, you were to say his disciples came during the night and stole away, stole him away while we were asleep. If the report gets to the governor, that's Pontius Pilate, we, we will satisfy him and, and uh, keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now, it's actually that last sentence that's so interesting. Because, so Jesus was crucified sometime between 30 and 33 AD. We don't know the exact year, but that's the time range, 30 to 33. Now, Matthew, Matthew was written sometime later, probably around 60, give or take five years. So that means, that means there were at least 20 to 30 years where people were spreading this rumor that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. Instead, the disciples stole his body to make it look like he rose from the dead. And, and so for 20 or 30 years, this was going on. And this was said in the church, outside the church. And that's where the Apostles' Creed stepped in. And to this, the Apostles' Creed said, no, he was actually buried in a tomb. So that's the first of them that we see. Now, the second of the alternative facts that were floating around the church was this idea that Jesus didn't really die because he really wasn't human. Okay, now that one might sound weird. Okay? He didn't really die because he, he wasn't really human. So there was a group of people, they were actually the first largest, most significant op opposing group within the church that came up. They were called the Gnostics. Now the Gnostics believed that they had secret knowledge of Jesus that wasn't in the Bible. The, and just their group had the secret. Everyone else was wrong. They were outside the secret. So, so they had secret knowledge about Jesus. And part of, part of the secret knowledge was that Jesus wasn't actually human. He only looked human. You see, the Gnostics, the Gnostics believed in a separation of flesh or matter and spirit. And, and in their worldview, flesh and matter was bad. Earthly stuff was bad. The spirit was good. Heavenly stuff, that was good. But the, the fleshly stuff was bad. So under their worldview, Jesus clearly couldn't have actually been human. Because there's no way that God would associate with all of this bad, fleshly, earthly stuff. So their belief in Jesus was that he was born human, that this this guy named Jesus was born, and at the, at the baptism, at his baptism around 30, or excuse me, uh, uh, um, uh, around 30 or so, might have been a little earlier, might have been a little later, um, he, then he received God's spirit, and he became this divine Jesus, and he was no longer human Jesus. And then right before he died, the divine Jesus left, and then he became human Jesus again. So that was, that was how the, the Gnostics viewed this. And so they argued that Jesus didn't actually die. The, the God Jesus could not have died because he wasn't really human. 
And so, so, and they argued, and this was a prevalent thought for a good couple hundred years. This was a major group with a lot of influence into the church. And what's interesting is Gnosticism is never called out by name directly in Scripture. But you can see it. Because during the time when the, the, the letters were being written in the New Testament, Gnosticism was alive and well. So I want to give you two examples. So the first one's from Paul in 1 Timothy. So in 1 Timothy, um, here's one of the commands, one of the challenges he gives to young Timothy. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in in so doing have departed from the faith. Now, if you're sitting at home reading through the Bible, reading through a little 1 Timothy there, and you read that, you might have just skipped right on past that. But now, now you know about the Gnostics because the Gnostics, that word, Gnostic, they got their name from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. So now that you know that, you can see this and be like, he is calling out the Gnostics practically by name, saying they have so-called knowledge, complete with air quotes. I'm sure he did that when he talked, air quotes, okay? They have knowledge. It's totally wrong. They've left the faith. These are not true believers, okay? Now, if we go on, in in John, John, and John's gospel and the letters were the latest that were written. That means Gnosticism was strongest during John's writings. And here's what John had to say. In, in this, his second letter, 2 John, here it is. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the antichrist. Bam! Okay, John is calling out the Gnostics directly because they did not believe that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, came down in the flesh. And he's calling them out, saying that they are wrong. They are wrong to say that Jesus didn't really die. So to, the, to the, these groups, the Gnostics, the Apostles' Creed, shouts, no. Jesus physically suffered, and he physically died. Now, another alternative fact that started to creep around the church was this one, that Jesus didn't actually die from the crucifixion. He merely passed out. And then later on, he regained consciousness. Now, this one's kind of interesting. Now, this is a view that never really gained traction. I mean, over 2,000 years of the church, it never really gained a really strong following. Because there is one fundamental problem with this view. The Romans, the Romans were experts at killing people. They were the LeBron James of executing people. Nobody was better. And the crucifixion, the crucifixion was their masterpiece. Nobody crucified like the Romans. So to say that Jesus could have survived this, from them, it's just unbelievable. It just doesn't make any sense, okay? So without going through all of the verses, here's a little summary of what Jesus went through in those final hours. 
He was whipped. He was beaten within an inch of his life, literally within an inch of his life. He was punched, beaten, struck with stabs. He had his beard ripped out. He had his hands and feet nailed through with these big old spikes. He hung up on a cross for three hours, and every breath would have been agonizing pain. And then he was stabbed in the side with a spear, very likely puncturing his heart and lungs. That's all that happened to Jesus over the course of some hours. And some people will say he didn't actually die. Okay, let's, let's go with this. Let's pretend he survived all of that and he merely passed out from the pain. One of the other big flaws of this is think about it. This is a guy who was bloodied beyond recognition. Literally, like he was so beaten up, you could not even tell who he was. And then within days and weeks, hundreds of people attested to seeing a resurrected Jesus who was perfectly and gloriously alive. Nobody could recover from the injuries Jesus suffered that quickly. Nobody could recover. He would have have shown up a bloodied, beaten, scabbed person. It just doesn't make any sense. But nonetheless, there was this view that was out there saying that he didn't really die. He just passed out. In fact, over the years and later on in in the the 17th, 18th century, it even got a name. It's called the swoon theory, which I've always thought was one of the weirdest names that he, he didn't die. He simply swooned. Go figure. I would have called it like the passed out theory. But it's just not believable. It's just not believable. But nonetheless, it was around. People were talking this. And so to this heresy that Jesus didn't really die, the Apostles' Creed stands firmly, faces and says, no, Jesus actually died and he was actually buried. Now, that leaves one phrase in this that we haven't talked about yet. That leaves one phrase that that really stands out as pretty odd. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, as you remember from earlier, Pontius Pilate was the governor. And he, he was basically the guy who signed the death warrant. He was the one who put the seal on the paper to say, kill him. Why include him? In this really short, succinct statement of powerful theology, powerful rebuttals of heresy, why include he suffered under Pontius Pilate? There are only three names written in the whole Apostles' Creed. Jesus, kind of important. Mary, kind of important. And Pontius Pilate, not really all that important. There were a slew of other people. They could have named in here. They could have named Judas, the one who turned him in. They could have named Herod, the king of the region, who could have reprieved him because kings outrank governors. They could have named Caiaphas. He was the Jewish high priest. They could have named the Pharisees, who together with Caiaphas, they're they're the ones who masterminded this whole thing. They could have named the soldiers who actually killed him. They did the killing. 
So out of all of this, why Pontius Pilate? Why this one kind of kind of weak skin, kind of wimpy governor who didn't have the guts to stand up to a crowd? He was too afraid of a riot that he might get kicked out of his position. Why Pontius Pilate? Well, there, there is a very specific reason for that. It's because the writers of the, the Apostles' Creed wanted to clearly and without doubt place Jesus in recorded history. They wanted to make the death of Jesus a datable historical event because this spoke against one of the fourth of the, the common alternative facts that Jesus didn't actually exist. Some people were saying that, that Jesus didn't actually exist. The church made him up. The church needed a savior. So they made up this God-man Jesus. So, so what's interesting about this is that, that, that this idea that Jesus never really existed and why Pontius Pilate, okay? So Pontius Pilate served uh, as governor from about 26 to 36, and as I said earlier, Jesus was crucified somewhere between 30, 33, somewhere with that. So it would have been squarely inside the ruling, the, the reign of Pontius Pilate. And so the writers wanted to be very clear, this is a historical event. This is not made up. Right? Um, but but the, 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 the Apostles' Creed was written 150 years later. And think about it. It's a culture where everything was passed on from, work, from person to person. No, very little writing, no internet, no Wikipedia to look stuff up on, okay? That, so there was a good over 100 years for people to be like, yeah, I don't think what, what they're saying happened back then, that didn't really happen. But the, the Apostles' Creed said no. And the church said no, it actually happened. So we, it was a very common practice in writing, in all kinds of writing, secular and religious, to anchor events under the, the reign of whoever was, king, emperor, governor. So that was a very common practice. So back then, people would have understood exactly why they say, why he said, suffered under the Pontius Pilate. It makes it sound like the Apostles' Creed is blaming Pilate, but that's not the case. And in fact, this, uh, along with a couple other passages in, in Jesus' crucifixion story have been used by Christians, particularly white American Christians and white European Christians, to justify anti-Semitism against the Jews and historical prejudice against the Romans. When you take stuff like this out of context to try to find blame for people, but that is not what this is. This is a time marker. It'd be like me saying that, you know, so I was born in, during Nixon's presidency. Then we all would automatically know that I was born about the year, okay, who am I kidding? Like, I, none of us know when Nixon was president. I, didn't even, I had to look it up, okay? So Nixon was president from 69 to 74. I was born in 70. So I could say that I was born in Nixon's presidency. But that's not a helpful thing for us. It's a very helpful thing for first, second, third century Middle East. Okay? And so this view, this, this idea that Jesus 
didn't actually exist. He was made up. That the Apostles' Creed stands against this and said, no. Jesus was an actual human being who suffered under an actual Roman governor. There he is in time. So, we've talked about four of these alternative facts. Four of these alternative facts that were floating around the church. Jesus wasn't buried. His disciples stole the body. Jesus didn't die because he wasn't really human. Jesus didn't die because he passed out. He later regained consciousness. Or or that Jesus didn't actually exist. He was made up by the church. Now, if you're looking at this list, looking at this list, what would possess people to go this far to explain away somebody's death and burial? What would make people come up with such, in some cases, pretty ludicrous explanations and justifications? I mean, let's, let's face it. Some of these are pretty outlandish. Why? Why on the earth would people go th- to such lengths to explain away Jesus' death and burial? Fundamentally, because they didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to believe it. The Jews who opposed the Christians, they didn't want to believe that Jesus was anything more than a man. The Gnostics, they didn't want to believe that Jesus was fully human because it went against their worldview. Their worldview could not, could not reconcile a human Jesus. And others wanted to discredit the church by discrediting Jesus. Fundamentally, they didn't want to believe in Jesus' death and burial. And you and I, we're the same. We do that all the time. We tell ourselves all kinds of lies when we don't want to face the harsh truth of something. We do all kinds of mental gymnastics to make it out so that we don't want to face a hard truth. We do, that with the, we, we do that with Jesus' death and burial. We say we want to make it less painful. We want to strip out the horrific violence. We want to turn it into a kid's Sunday school lesson instead of Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. We want to sanitize it. We want to clean it up. I mean, heck, we even put a little polished cross around our necks sometimes. As if putting an instrument of execution was a good thing. And don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking cross necklaces, okay? But we have to remember what this is. We have to remember what this is. This is a bloody, horrific instrument of torture. But that's hard for us to believe. That's hard for us to stomach. Because we want to minimize it. We want to make it somehow more palatable. So we minimize. We do this in our lives all the time. We do it with our social lives, our families, our habits, our behaviors. We do it all the time. You might say to yourself, you know, I don't have a problem with my drinking. We just go out and we have some fun. Or you might say, but, but he loves me. 
he's just really stressed and he gets angry sometimes. Or you might say, you know, college just didn't work out for me. I'd rather be working anyway. And we come up, we tell ourselves these things to make ourselves feel better about ourselves because we don't want to face the harsh truth. I'm an alcoholic. He's a violent abuser. I flunked out of college. So we tell ourselves things. We come up with alternative facts in our head all the time because we don't want to face the harsh truth. So if we do this, when we don't want to face the harsh truth, what is the harsh truth of the crucifixion? What is the harsh truth of the crucifixion? It's that he died for you. He died for me. He went through, Jesus went through unimaginable pain. Because of your sin. Jesus was tortured within an inch of his life because of my rebellion and my refusal to follow God and to live God's ways. We don't want to believe it because it's too painful to take the blame. It's too painful to say that I am the reason Jesus went through all of that. It's my fault. It's my sin he was forgiving. It's my fault. And that's too painful. So we minimize it. We sanitize it. We clean it up. We soften it. So that's why the Apostles' Creed is important. And when we stand together and we, re we recite this line, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and buried. You can think in your head for me. You can think in your head because of me. That's why this line is so important. That's why this line of fairly innocuous facts is so critical to the Apostles' Creed. Because when we say it, when we claim Jesus was crucified, he suffered, he was crucified, he died and was buried, we acknowledge the gravity of our sin. The weight of the consequences of every time you disobey God, every time I disobey God, that is why Jesus had to go through all of this. We acknowledge the gravity, the weight, the heaviness of our sin, and the sacrifice Jesus made to give you and to give me a relationship with God. We're reminded of the seriousness of our sin. Also, we speak against all of these alternative facts that existed 2,000 years ago and plenty of them that still exist here to say that Jesus is not what the Bible says he was, that he is not who he himself said he was. And we speak against all of our attempts to minimize the terrible nature of our sin. 
And lastly, when we say this phrase, when we say this phrase, we acknowledge that it should have been us. It should have been you, and it should have been me. We should be the ones to die in our place, not somebody else. Not Jesus to die for us, that it should have been us. So we're going we're gonna to close the service here by reading the Apostles' Creed just up to the point we've studied so far. And if, you, and if you've been around or if you've followed on, online and you've listened and you believe these things that we're talking about, then this is your chance to stand and boldly speak against all of the lies that you believe, that the world is telling you, that your non-Christian friends tell you, that you find on the internet, all of those, this is your chance to speak against those and to affirm what you believe about God and Jesus Christ. So stand with me. And again, we're, we're just gonna read up to the line that we've studied so far. Each week, we add another one to it. And, and, and if, you, if you're not sure, if you're not sure you believe in this, that's okay. You can just stand here and listen to these people around you believing something that sounds kind of ridiculous to you, kind of outlandish, and that's okay. That's okay. So here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary, oops, conceived by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you sent your son to die in our place, Lord, that we deserved the punishment. We deserved the torture. We deserved the death but you love us so much that you sent your one and only son so that we could have life with you today and forevermore. So thank you, God. You, you are amazing. Your love for us, your grace and your mercy are unfathomable. Lord, so, so let me, let us be overwhelmed with your love. Let us at the same time be overwhelmed with the weight of our sin and overwhelmed with the love of Jesus' death. So thank you that we can have a relationship with you. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are, your creation. I pray in your name. Amen.